Hello and welcome to Yeehaw, a podcast with me, Reverend Bones. So why do we need another podcast? Well, look, we don't, but um, I enjoy having conversations with people and asking questions and interrogating the nature of reality as such as I find it. And um, many times over the past few years, people have said that they think I should start one. And yesterday I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And uh, given that right now Canberra is inundated with uh, Freedom Convoy protesters, I thought I might give my little brother, Josiah Bones, a call and uh, see if he had time to chat. So what you're going to hear today is a conversation with my brother, Science Joe. Now, Josiah is a computational biophysicist. He is doing his PhD at the Australian National University right now, and he's just about to get his first piece of research published in Nature, one of the world's most preeminent scientific journals. It's worth noting that Josiah is also doing a certificate in counselling, so he has a very interesting perspective Now, today our conversation traverses a lot of topics. We talk about supercomputers, computational biophysics, spike proteins and mutations, COVID and vaccine hesitancy, institutional distrust and how early uh, lies from the medical industry has fed into that, Uh, how scientists rarely talk directly to the public. We look at epistemology and grief, conspiratorial thinking. We spend a bit of time discussing what it was like to both deconstruct our faith and the connection between religious fundamentalism and conspiracy thinking. We also acknowledge the suffering of the COVID years, nature of belief, and what people mean by freedom. Um, There's also some discussion at the end on uh, the revolution in molecular biology. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Josiah, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you here. You're loud in my cans. I love it. Love to hear your voice. Um, So Josiah, you're a scientist and right now we've got a bunch of people marauding their way through Canberra, um, worried about the science of vaccines, worried about, uh, or not worried about COVID (laughs) or catching it. Um, You're doing your PhD in science. before we get into that, can you just give us a little bit of your academic background, what you do, um, and we can take it from there. Yeah, so I'm doing a PhD in biophysics, and what I actually look at is uh, the protein in, in our bodies that reacts when you get a viral infection, like with COVID, and I try to figure out what's going on with that protein how it works, what it's doing, and just, yeah, try and understand more about it. We don't know a huge amount about it. So, 
trying to help help the world understand how the immune system works a little bit better. And you use computers to do this, the the supercomputers at ANU? Yeah, yeah. So we, we run on supercomputer clusters um, to try to... That, that's what we do with our simulations. We put them on those supercomputers. And, um, yeah, it takes a lot of computational guts to simulate what we do. Uh, it's pretty tough computational work, so, yeah. And so what have you learned thus far through your research so i was looking at i mean the the research as it relates to tlr7 which is this protein that i look at um currently i've learned something about a mutation that can happen in that protein uh it's currently getting published to nature and we just learned that this mutation what it actually does down at the atom level in and and how this mutation gives people autoimmune disease right and yeah. that's relevant to covid how so the the covid connection is that this is the same protein that is kind of your body's frontline detection of covid right so understanding how mutations impact this protein is really important because we're pretty sure that most of the young people who die with COVID probably have mutations in this protein and this might be one of the major reasons why. Mm. So we're trying to kind of get to the, the heart of what is it about COVID or other diseases that will kill one healthy person but not another. Mm. So that was always my thesis even even you know through my honors where i looked at covid more specifically looked at the actual proteins well the spike protein that a lot of people have heard of now it's all through the news it's part of the part of the vernacular um but yes yeah, so that that spike protein we tried to figure out if there was anything going on with that that was causing covid to be worse than a common cold. Mm. So we're not really sure about that still. It's hard to say. There seems to be some some indication that we might have figured out a little bit there, but I wouldn't I wouldn't feel confident making any claims about that. Mm. But yeah, I think I think most likely that the answers are gonna be at this immune system level where people have mutations that um can make them more susceptible. Mm. So as a scientist who invests a lot of time and mental energy in picking apart uh, these problems and posing questions and then trying to design ways to get evidence to um, prove yourself wrong as well or to see to see if you're right and, and looking for, yeah, I guess uh, designing these experiments. How does it feel for you to put so much effort into finding the truth of a matter um, to then, you know, have our town, the town in which we live right now, Canberra, um, kind of overrun with people who seem to reject just some really basic information around what a vaccine is and um, how it works in the body and why it's not really anything to be concerned about for the vast majority of people that not getting vaccinated is a far greater risk to the population um 
how does it make you feel, I suppose, to watch this debate unfold and to see how these ideas can really catch on and, as we're seeing today, like mobilise big groups of people to um, protest? Yeah, I've, I have two minds about it. So on the one hand, it's tough. feels like, you know, your efforts are not being heard, I suppose, to some degree. Um, and that it doesn't really matter how much effort you put into the truthfulness of the process, the authenticity of the science. There's going to be a lot of people who reject that anyway. Uh, but on the other hand, it's I understand people's desire to to push against what they feel like is misinformation in their heads. So I can understand why people are distrustful of the medical bodies that are making these calls. Um, I you know I I can get that, and I think they made a lot of mistakes throughout the entire COVID period. And just a lot of grey lies were made. Really? By these bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, in America, and it, the beginning of the whole thing, it was like, oh, don't go out and get masks. They're not going to help. Yeah. Bullshit. They're always going to help. So that was a, a, well, a straight out lie that the American government made in order to manage their own failures around PPE supply. Right. So why would the public trust them on anything? Mm. So as I understand the, the, the pushback that exists in the public. Um, and, you know, this is still the same engine that's delivering the news of the science. So it's all, this is how it gets to the public. It goes through these channels. Mm. Scientists rarely talk directly to the public, at least in this way. So, mm. so I get it. Um, you know, it's tough. But, yeah, it goes to the, the heart of how do you figure out your own, what what you're going to trust in this situation and, and how do you forgive people who hurt your trust? Mm. And I think a lot of people feel that way as well. As in it's a tough. lot of people have been, have had, their lives have been harder throughout yeah. the disruption of a pandemic and therefore, therefore, um, You know, the, the, there's antagonism there towards institutions, yeah. that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, and how do you how do you make sense of little contradictions that appear in the public advice? Mm. And you know, the, I can see if, especially if you're inclined towards thinking a little conspiratorially, it's very easy. It's a very easy um, situation to to fall into in that way, which I think is why it's really taken off. Um, it does seem like conspiracy thinking's all the rage, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really normalised it, mm. I suppose. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to ask why. Why and how. So we both have um, a similar background. <laughs> Kind of big obviously, surprise. big surprise, having been um, and remaining brothers. Um, I'm interested, you know, there, there is sort of an overlap between, say, Christian fundamentalism of the kind that we were 
educated and raised in and um, conspiracy thinking or conspiratorial thinking. Um, you know, even our, our parents, the church that they went to um, had an anti-vax pastor um, and they kind of ended up exiting that church based on um, the pastor using his platform at the pulpit to spread lies or misinformation, however well-meaning it is, about um, COVID and uh, vaccines. What do you see as sort of the commonality between them? Why, why is there this overlap? Yeah, it's a deep question. Um, I think it could get to this idea that, you know, the, what's, what's shared between them, I suppose. You could ask is the question. Something bigger that's always pulling levers. That, mm. to me, feels like a common thread. So the idea that not you know not only has the the government hasn't made mistakes as such and floundered and fucked up in its information uh, you know spread how it how it delivers information to the public. Rather, there's actually people at the top pulling levers, taking advantage of this situation, trying to. You know, there's a there's a goal and a motive behind things, and I think that you that, mean that's so how that's how the the anti-vaxxers will typically see this kind of uh, that I think that that's a probably a fairly like it's reasonable to say that's a common perspective taken by mm. anti-vaxxers, um, and on that fundamentalist side of things, it's it's the, the similar thread is that that's happening everywhere all the time, right? God is pulling the threads or Satan is pulling the threads the other side. Mm. Um, there's always a bigger narrative at play. There's a cosmic narrative that you're a part of. Cosmic significance. Yeah. So I wonder if that... If pe people who think that way, you know, in the religious side of things, they're gonna tr it's going to easily translate into this situation. Mm. Um, the, the, the pattern's already ready to, ready to fire, as it were. Um, so I don't think it's very hard for, the, for that transition to take place, to kind of take that, that whole kind of one, one of the key pillars of conspiratorial thinking being this massive ploy, you know, this almost imperceivably complex ploy at play. Yeah, being well, able to kind of apply that in other parts of life. Yeah, from my reading, um, conspiratorial thinking or a susceptibility to conspiratorial thinking usually comes when the sort of an overwhelming amount of complexity, and it's it's usually a way for people to feel control over a situation. Is in like I know the secret, so yeah. Um, it allows them to make sense of every, all these complicated, interrelated phenomena that don't necessarily have a purpose or a sense behind it. Or you know, it's like 
um, but that there's a simple narrative arc that puts you in sort of this chosen few um, as one of the enlightened ones and it then enables you to feel a sense of safety around that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you've got that happening on one side. Mm. And then on the other side, you've got institutions who exist to survive. They have their own kind of natural selection process mm. and they perceive honesty in their own failings as a kind of death threat to themselves. Mm. So you have institutions that will push some grey lives through and, and will kind of obfuscate some information here and there um, or just plainly fuck up and they won't admit it. You know, like our, our government in the early days especially, you know, they, like the fuck up is pretty clear by my estimates, but there was certainly no acknowledgement of that. Yeah. So... And the other thing, so I, I remember um, when I was, I came over to your place just before heading off to Melbourne for an event I was running um, two years ago, around this time, two years ago nearly. Um, and you made me sit down and watch this video from some um, medical officers in America who and yeah, I just remember that really drilling home to me. Oh man, this is this thing's going to be a big yeah. The future's going to look a little different. This than you is thought. yeah. I was like, oh man, yeah, this is going to change. This is going to change everything. And you know, I was going to Melbourne to work on this climate event. That's my main sort of professional area of work. Is um, using various different means to try to move the dial for climate action. Um, and I, you know, could see this scary future unfolding in our, in the information that you'd presented me with. And I could really feel in like my stomach, this sense of rejection. Like I didn't want to, it was really uncomfortable and unpleasant to think about. Yeah. I didn't want to think about it. I really wanted to, I wanted it to not be true. Yeah. Um, and I could really feel that sense of resistance to it. And then even like that week, a lot of people didn't um, take it seriously yet. And I felt like you'd kind of got my radar tuned to the magnitude of it earlier than quite a few other people. And so I was then the one being like, this is going to be a problem. We should probably get ready to bail on this or like we we should probably not be bringing enormous amounts of people together and then the concert that i was working on which was the miley cyrus bushfire relief concert ended up getting cancelled um last minute it was one of the first events to get cancelled because um a formula one driver it was like near the formula one racetrack was where this concert was going to be held. And anyway. Had a little breakout. Yeah, it was the, the scene of the first breakout in, yeah. in Australia. And so then I, after getting freaked out by you, <laughs> ended up being like, 
there and I knew that some camera people had come to film this pre-event that we were doing who were yeah. at the Formula One and I was like, oh my God, like it might be, you know, the plague is here. <laughs> um, and that was two years ago. So, yeah. and then since yeah. then it's, you know, I know even my, my hairdresser who's an amazing big burly dude, um, wolf tat on his neck, been going to him for like a decade or more. Um, you know, his hairdressing business got slammed throughout the lockdowns and I think he's, he's pretty against them. Mm. Um, and you know, there's, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's not uncommon. Even it's pretty tough. When, you know, we've all got friends or family who, um, won't accept the truth. Yeah. And there's an interesting, um, again, it's kind of this question of belief and like, what do you believe and how important is that? And the freedom of belief. It's a fascinating thing for us to sit and talk about, particularly also this week with the religious discrimination bill yeah. debate, which has a whole clause around giving special privileges to uh, statements of belief. Mm. It's in like, I just believe this to be true. And so I'm going to say it. And that on the one hand being, you know, is it a license to discriminate? Um, and then on the other hand, you know, we do have this freedom of belief and thought in an open society. That's a fundamental tenet. So like rather maybe than getting really worked up about people who are believing something different or understanding the world differently, we should be trying to have more conversations where we seek to understand rather mm. than to vilif vilify straight out of the gate. I, yeah, I, I can pick up on that, I reckon. I have a thought there because, you know, I keep coming to this idea, especially, I mean, in Canberra, I know the Canberra, um, the marches here are, you know, people have come from everywhere. People yep. have come from Victoria and New South Wales to join in. So it's, uh, it's like the reverse Stopadani march <laughs> instead of a bunch of greenies going up to, yeah. to Queensland to stop a coal mine. Yeah. <laughs> They're all coming here. Everyone's descending upon it's, Canberra um, to... It's interesting though, because it's, I, you know, we're, we're in this really different phase of COVID now where basically it's, let's, let's roll, you know, any lockdowns that have happened in the last few months have been self-enforced, you know, businesses have stayed shut because people didn't want to go out, not yeah. because they're actually lockdowns. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I know there are still, even in Canberra, there's still some public, you know, you can't, can't dance. Nightclub. That's pretty much it, I That's think. That's really annoying for which me. Which sucks. <laughs> a lot of young people are going to be pissed about that. I get that. But it feels like really what's happening now, it's like, you know, there's this push against the mandate, but I know once again in Canberra that there aren't really mandates here. So I don't fully understand that. Um, and even in other places, I don't think there's really many mandates left in New South Wales either. Um. So what what are what are people trying to say? And I I think really people just want to show that they're angry mm. and hurt for suffering over the last two years, and they didn't get heard. So people are here to try to be heard mm. that they're upset and hurt about this. They're not here to, you know. Yeah, I I just I have a feeling that's at the heart of it. Not mandates because they're just they're not really even 
that big a deal now. Yeah. Mandates are gone for the most part. So mm. it's it's almost like a retroactive protest. So why retroactively protest? Because you feel like you didn't get heard before. Mm. I guess there's also an election coming. There's yeah. also like politicians who are spending tens of millions of dollars um to push this for whom for whom so like the palmer united party or united australia party as it's called now my favorite youtube ads (laughs) yeah yeah he's committed to making it the most expense like to spending more money on political advertising than ever before and last election he spent about 89 million dollars yeah um Mostly bagging out Labor and Bill Shorten to get people to not vote for them. And then a lot of the votes were funneled back to the Liberal Party. And then old mate gets his coal mine approved, $6.4 billion. There you go. Sweet. Um, Great investment. Yeah. Cheap. Cheap. Really good return on investment, if you think about that way. Um, And... You know, so like there's a whole there trust in institutions overall, Western democracies is in decline, right? There was a uptick from what I understand um, during Corona, partly because governments, you know, did step in, people got scared and started, you know, making decisions and um, for a while, it seemed to be working, even though it was unpleasant. I think most people get it. Most people um, are on board. But there is, there's always going to be this chunk of the population, right? There's always going to be some five, ten percent of people who, for no matter no matter what happens or no matter what direction we're going, are going to be mad. But yeah, I guess. Do you think it's evidence of a deeper malaise? Um, like a, in the political a, system. Yeah, yeah or, or in our society in, in general. Um, you know, like anything, it can be used. Mm. I think that's what you mentioned about the Palm United movement that is behind some of this activity. Freedom, I, freedom, know. freedom. Yeah, <laughs> it's re- the way, if you watch those ads, the way it's framed, it's very clear that it's, you know, pushing this kind of a, a stance. Mm. You know, I'm sure they're celebrating the marches. Um, so is it a deeper issue? I don't, I don't know. I don't assume it is. I'm careful here to not sound conspiratorial in my thinking myself. Mm -hmm. Is there a bigger pattern? You know what I mean? I think it's just the same old pattern really, which is that things are hard for people. People get hurt from other people and the environment in which they immerse themselves and then people find ways to express that. Um, I think this is just one way for people to do that. Mm. It was hard, man. Like to you know, people lost a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like the government was lying to you, and there's some evidence to suggest that's true, I don't like overall the science is very clear. That's my stance. But I'm not sure I'd say that. Like I, I have, I have respect for people who can't see that, 
as such, especially when you have scientists. Sorry, when, when you say the science is clear, you mean like coronavirus? Coronavirus is A, real. Yeah. B, way more deadly than the flu. Yeah. And C, the vaccines are pretty pretty good yeah. at, at reducing hospitalization and death in a big way. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty safe. They're not the safest vaccines ever. Mm -hmm. I accept that. But if you're worried about vaccine safety, you you haven't like you, you, you haven't you're not thinking and... statistically. Yeah. You're really not putting that in perspective. And that's the other thing as well, is it it is hard to think about probabilities probabilities. There you go. Yeah. Probabilities and statistics. Um it's hard. Like you have to be trained to think that way. Yeah. It's not intuitive. No. And risk. And the other thing that I think about is the psychology as well. I think a lot of this is also just based on people. Like having a needle go in your body is physically invasive. Yeah. If this if this was a nasal vaccine, just shoot it, have a little snort of a saline solution up your nose. It'd be a very different. Very different you story. I, I reckon people would still be pretty pissed There'd be about some, it. but it wouldn't be as big a deal. I don't like reckon. That, that sensation, the nasal spray. I'd prefer a jab in the arm. I'd rather a nasal spray. Give me a needle. Spray <laughs> my nose anytime. Agree to disagree. Anyway, uh, but yeah, <laughs> bodily, or, bodily autonomy. Um, you can see how um, it, it freaks it, people yeah, out. I was thinking about this this morning. It, there is something invasive about it. And psychologically you know, as well. Um, at least mandating it, that's for sure. Yeah. People, you know, can we walk around in these meat sacks and um, prefer to choose what goes in and out of them. And uh, when the government, who, as you say, you know, doesn't tell the truth all the time. Actually, it's one of my big bugbears is <laughs> politics, it's legal for them to lie. It's legal for political parties to lie in advertising, unlike corporations law, where it's illegal to engage in misleading and deceptive conduct. The same doesn't work for politicians trying to get elected again, which is fucking astounding yeah. that that is... It's baked into the, the whole system. Yeah, and, and that the current Liberal National Coalition government voted against... Uh, a bill put forward by independent MP Zali Stegall for truth in political advertising. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, if it's it's legal t for them to lie in certain circumstances, not a great predictor of, um, or, or not not a great ball walk for truth in our society and no. for confidence in those institutions. So, no. and I, um, yeah, and I I, I think. This is the tough part. It's like, how do you figure out when your institutions are and are not lying? And a lot of, and I think everyone throughout this period who has kind of identified, you know, there's going to be the people who just fall and trust the institutions. That's cool. I'm not one of them. I had to figure out what information am I getting told? And I had to check that against scientific information itself. And I've disagreed with. Not everything, but like probably more than fifty percent of measures taken and how they were t how they were deployed throughout this whole mm. thing. Even even with masks, I remember, um, yeah, when the official line was, mask won't do anything. Again, I very lucky to have you in my life. I was like, I'll give Joe a call and see what he thinks. 
and you're like bullshit it's it's a respiratory illness it's it's transmitted by air in particulate matter it's carried in spittle obviously a mask is, is going to stop yeah. it leaving your mouth going to someone else's and so from going from their mouth into yours yeah. it's airborne that's stupid yeah it just and so i was like details, okay cool yeah. i will i will get my mask and keep my mask um but then yeah if there's this flip-flopping this is the standard. This is the rule. Oh no, no, now it's this. Yeah. Oh no, now it's that. You can see why people. And again, the other thing is, if you're uh, financially stressed already, if you've got kids, uh, you got bills. Like, it's hard to process more information yeah. in that sense. That's really destabilizing. Yeah. And I think it can, you know, it can lead to an identity crisis as well. If you put a lot of your self worth in your job and your work and you're used to things going a particular way and then it changes if you're a truck driver or you can't like cross borders or you have yeah. to do, you know, like it's... Yeah, to put this in like a familiar analogy to people, you know, if you picture the, the government as a parent, which yeah. is, you know, what they like to be thought of as, I think. Well, and also and... what um, cognitive linguists, uh, yeah, have the... We all have an, a parent... In internal yeah. family model, which yeah. I know you got a fair few thoughts on. Um, but then we think about society as a family and ergo the government as parents. Yeah. And then the kind of parenting we want or we've had is sort of reflected in mm. whether we want the strict parent authoritarian father model or say the nurturant parent model, yeah. which comes from George Lakoff's... Um, so if you picture this... Yeah. Even without going political with it, if you just kind of picture the the government as the parent, citizens as the kids, looking up to the like, okay, like I get, I get, I need to get some of my safety signals in the world from my parent, mm-hmm. and you've got your parent who is kind of scrambling, right, scrambling to make sense of the COVID pandemic as it's happening, telling you contradictory information, making up bullshit on the spot, mm-hmm. which is literally what they did. Kids aren't stupid. If your parent does that to you, you start to figure out the parent's not trustworthy. Mm. You figure out your own way in the world. So I think there's an element of that that is going on. So in some sense, you know, the the signal that I think some of the anti-vaxxers have, have kind of latched onto from the government, it's right on board. It's like, it's it's on point. You know, there, there were, were kind of signals that should have been latched onto. And I think, Anyone who's kind of just blindly accepted every every component of this is too accommodating. They haven't thought enough. Mm. So I want to, you know, it's important that I kind of flag that either side of this extreme is, you know, justified, dangerous, both. Mm. So the search for the sensible center. Yeah. So part of the whole idea of yeehaw is as sort of a, an idea is, um, you know, it's a expression of exuberance. And I know that, you know, psychological research shows that we have an inherent negativity bias. We remember negative information more easily, twice as easily as good things that happen. So we do often have to make a practice of focusing on the positives and the good things and the things that make us optimistic, even though 
we're living through a climate crisis, even though income inequality is growing, even though, you know, there's plenty of things going wrong. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic, the civil unrest. Um, what makes you optimistic or hopeful for the future? Um, again, you sort of peer into it more closely than many through the eyes of, you know, mega computers and, um, and also your knowledge as a biologist and a chemist, but zooming out, zooming back, what makes you optimistic for the future? People and what they're capable of, I think. That in general, people do want to, you know, do good in the world, whatever that looks like. People are generally trying to align with their values on a daily basis and try to figure out how to help their neighbour for the most part. So that that's kind of, I run, you know, it's, it's human, um, really it's the human condition that makes me both excited about the future and also, of course, it's, there's elements of that condition which can also lead us straight down some dark paths, mm. which we're already going down in many ways, collectively. It's very hard to kind of make big collective changes to these things. It has to kind of, I, the, way, the only way I kind of see it, it has to kind of percolate its way through a system from, from the bottom up. It's very hard to make top-down changes, you know, corp corporate changes, government changes that change the nature of a government from the top down. Mm. Because, you know, I, I, I do subscribe to this idea that once you've got a government or some identity there, it's like that identity is self-replicating. It wants to be like it is. It doesn't really want to iterate too much. It just wants to survive. It's like, just like every individual wants to survive, every larger entity wants to survive in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the same, we kind of amp, we kind of take our individual identities and they get pushed into any of these bigger collective structures that we come together as. Yeah. So I guess in evolutionary theory, that's multi-level group selection. Right or group selection. So yeah, there's competition. I, yeah. There's the the Darwin's theory of evolution. Individuals compete, but he actually also talked a lot about cooperation and the ability to cooperate being something that creates selective advantage for a community or for a group, and therefore things that create in-group bonding. Um, and enable better collaboration um, or, you know, societies, groups, colonies, whatever, who, um, yeah, who figure out better ways to work together are the ones that win. And you can see that even, I don't know if you've seen that Netflix um, series with uh, Michael Jordan and no. the Chicago Bulls. Um, and... You know, there was Michael Jordan was the superstar. The strategy was basically just pass the ball to Michael. Um, and then 
that worked for a time, but then all the other teams figured out, oh, what are they? They're just going to pass the ball to Michael. So just Adapt. just like swarm that guy. Yeah. Don't give him any room to move. And so they started losing because they had like they were a one trick pony, and they they weren't working collectively. Yeah. And so then it took them like a year or two of training, creating this new model of like triangle positions on the court, passing like a passing um, strategy of, of moving as a team and trusting everyone else who was obviously also a phenomenal basketball baller and athlete. Um, but then once they employed and deployed that strategy they started just crushing it and ended up being one of the most successful teams of all time um, with other star players really coming into their own as well. Very long-winded example of saying that in amongst all this, we've got to remember there's different levels of organising that's happening in human society. We're kind of um, 90% chimp, 10% bee. That's, that's, um, yeah, again, another psychologist, um, uses that analogy, um, I like it to help us think about, you know, we're mostly chimp like we're mostly concerned about ourselves and our immediate sort of, you know, family needs, that sort of thing. But we are 10% B and that enables humans to collaborate on enormous scales, like, mm. Frick, just this week, didn't we simulate the birth of a star here on Earth? Did you read about that? No. Oh, anyway. So up on apparently me. there was a yeah a, a simulation of the birth of a star in some crazy nuclear reactor, you know. We've got that going. We've got the world's climate scientists who've been doing this intricate modelling of weather systems and, you know, ice cores and... Um, you know, the changing temperatures over time, giving us very loud and clear signals saying this is something we need to act on with like, you know, it's coming from the same crew who are like, come on guys, (laughs) there's a pandemic coming. It's going to kill heaps of people if we don't do something about it. Mm. And here we are later, millions of people dead from COVID around the world. But, you know, from a century ago, like it could have, like, that's the other thing. In human history, we've gone through periods where like one in three people just die. Yep. Or one in one in five. So, like, we don't really have a good baseline. If you just think about it, imagine if every other person you know died last year. That's like what's sort of possible from pandemics and previous pandemics that human societies have lived through. That's fucked up. And like, yeah, it's really you intense. know, it's been, this has been bad. Lots of people have lost their lives and jobs and yeah. there's been other mental health things, but we should put that in context for a second. This vac, like we got vaccines developed in like less than 12 months from when it was discovered and like out in the field and sure, it took us an extra year. That's still freaking incredible. And sure, they were pretty. Much, I, we didn't I, order enough for Australia and there were, like they bungled heaps of parts of it. It could have been done better, but still, it's like holy, like, like that's pretty amazing. Yeah, the, I mean, the molecular biology um, world is 
you know, it's it's in the middle of a revolution right now. Mm, and we're, we're lucky. We're lucky that COVID hit during such a time mm. and not 10 years ago, even. Really? Oh, yeah. Because this is the mRNA um, technology? Yeah. It's just in turn, the whole, the, the, the whole workflow in synthetic biology and molecular biology in general has been incredibly optimized. Like it's, it's just a, it's, it's, it's hard to explain from, to people who are not on the inside and don't see what things were like 10 years ago. But the accessibility of, of these, but to just to run experiments, even, um, you know, what, what would have taken five years takes, can, can take a week now, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's such an order of magnitude improvement in technology scaling availability uh, in the in the molecular biology world, so we're we're lucky that it hit now mm. compared to even ten years ago. Wow! Like if SARS one, which was what two thousand and six, mm. might be wrong about that. Um, you know, if that had really taken off, we could have been in a lot of trouble. Because we probably wouldn't have had vaccines fast, mm. and it was more dangerous by a lot. So, you know, if that was more contagious, we would have been pretty screwed. Mm. But yeah, so we're you know, there's there's a lot of bright sides to look at. It's hard to keep that in perspective, obviously, when people have lost loved ones anyway, and their businesses are dead, and it's like, well, it doesn't matter for me. Mm. Got as dark as it feels like it could have gotten anyway. Mm. So, um, but yeah, definitely at that social scale, could have been way worse. Yep. And we're lucky. Yeah. Well, there we go. It could have been heaps worse. <laughs> Stop whining. <laughs> Be grateful. <laughs> because molecular biology is on a rampage right now. It is. It's on a rampage. And that's, you know, this idea of people, you know, one of the one of the main memes going around in the anti-vax world is all this happened too fast. I met someone the other day where, like, for some, some reason, like, the vaccine question came out just in small talk. And I was like, oh, they haven't been vaccinated, have they? I mm. had that thought as I was saying, and I was like, ugh. Like, I don't, you know, I can't be bothered yep. having a, going too deep with someone who's probably already made up their mind. Yep. Um... And it was like the the reason I didn't even ask anything beyond like, oh, did you get the shot kind of thing? And then just left it. But mm. she wanted to keep talking. Mm-hmm. Mentioned that, yeah, I just felt like it all happened too fast. The development of them. And it's like, well, yeah, that was the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's why that's like, it's amazing we were able to do that. And that's the only reason there, it doesn't feel like this is that's happened before is because it hasn't. It's because molecular biology is an order of magnitude ahead of where it was 10 years ago when all the vaccines came out that you've had. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, there was, um, I had a similar experience when I went home or went back to dubs for, um, Christmas. Um, yeah, one of my good friends ran into them in the shops and I was wearing a mask and they weren't. And then they kind of like giggled at me or laughed or something. And I was like, oh, that's weird. 
And then over dinner when I was asking about how their work was going and da-da-da, um, they're like, oh, I don't actually do that job anymore. It's like, oh, why? And they're like, oh, this and that happened, but also uh, there's a vaccine mandate um, and I'm not vaccinated. And I was like, oh, interesting. It's like, do you mind if I ask why? And then they were like, look, I've thought it through long and hard and don't want to get into it right now. And yeah. I was just like, fine. Um, yeah, a lot of there's and, a lot of defensiveness in that stuff. Yeah, to people who kind of feel like they're sick of having to defend their position. Yeah, which is which is fair, which is fine. Yeah. I don't. And but here's here's the other thing is like I genuinely don't genuinely don't really care no, if like an individual person yeah. doesn't. It's a problem on mass. Yeah. But and maybe this is you know coming from the world in which we came and left, aka fundamentalist Christianity where the Bible is a literal word of God. Um, you know, earth was created in six days. God rested on the seventh. Um, the earth's probably 6,000 years old. And Jesus is coming back soon to reign for a thousand years before all heaven and earth is done away with and there's a new heaven and earth. And then we're going to just live with Christ for eternity. Um, that worldview, coming out from that and being like, whoa, okay, <laughs> that's so wrong on so many levels but only really but for both of us it was like in our 20s yeah really like coming to terms with that then kind of needing to justify ourselves to both our you know parents and friends and everyone who would basically everyone who we'd grown up with and our past selves and our past selves yeah that's sort of the hardest thing as well being like ah oh, like that sense of shame that you thought these silly things that like it's kind of obvious once you're out of it but anyway that's confirmation bias at work yeah. anyway we've all had a lived experience of that also the social nuance of like how do you maintain relationship with someone with whom you have fundamentally different beliefs yep um it's tough. and particularly when you, when you get also the other thing is like you know we were both in this pentecostal evangelical christianity evangelical meaning I'm going to try to convert you to my way of believing and thinking. And so when you go on the other side and you leave that, for me, I then became similarly um, forceful mm. or similarly interested in trying to persuade people other, other side of, of the, the seesaw. other side. Exactly. Yeah. This, you know, the pendulums are swaying the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was 12, 13 years ago now, right? And so in the intervening time, having made lots of mistakes over and over again, you do learn that it's like, oh, is that an idea that you have about the world? Fine. Like, I, you, don't, it's, you don't actually have to try to dissuade people of anything. No. If any, and the better approach is really to kind of just ask questions, kind of the Socratic method. Yeah. And see if yeah. you're able to ask people questions that might later let them think about. Yeah, make something click. And create, create room, room for questioning. People do not react well to being told they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is essentially never the way to go. Yeah. If you actually want to have an impact. Or being told that they're dumb asses or yeah. pieces of shit or yeah. um, whatever, what have you. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to be respected. Yep. Um, and, and feel that genuinely. Um, yeah, no, the reality is that, you know, with all these protesters... Inside each one of these people is an authentic experience being had that 
they are onto something and they, that what they are trying to say needs to be said. Yeah. You know, you have to try to understand that and respect that. And yeah. Well, as someone who's been in a lot of protests in my time, <laughs> I'm all for the right to yeah. um, protest civil disobedience as long as it's done peacefully and yeah. non-violence is an essential part of a healthy democracy. Yeah. Um, because how else does a society improve itself if um, unjust rules and laws are not able to be challenged with people. Um, yep. All right, Joe, what would you... Is there anything you'd like to say before we round out today? Any thought you'd like to leave in the listener's mind? Try to be kind, I guess, when thinking about those protesters. Just think about how they would have gotten there. And that things were a little bit different, maybe you'd be out there. Not to say that, you know, they shouldn't be out there or or whatever, but just, yeah, put yourself in their shoes and try not to, like, take on the, the kind of the other narrative, which is to shame them, mm-hmm. I guess. It's not very useful. Mm. That's about it. So there we have it. My first podcast episode interviewing my brother, Science Joe. Uh, if you enjoyed this, let me know. You can find me at Reverend underscore Bones on all the socials. And actually, yesterday after this conversation, I decided to go down to Braddon here in Canberra and chat with people who'd been at the protest and film some little videos. So um, I'm got enough for two short sort of three minute interviews it's pretty enlightening um so not going to get into it here but if you want to you can head to my tiktok and watch them so have a great week enjoy the rest of your sunday or whatever day it is when you listen to this and yeah i'll see you next time bye bye